This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The RCMP has received no reports of grave diggers at the site of the former Kamloops Residential School, despite a government report claiming otherwise. Illegal drugs are now killing more people in British Columbia than all other causes combined. And according to a research report, anti-woke Ottawa trustees received the highest rate of abusive tweets during the last municipal election. Hello Canada, it's Wednesday, June 21st, and this is the 150th episode of True North's Daily Brief. I'm Rachel Emanuel. And I'm Cosman Georgia. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. Despite an explosive claim in a government report that shovel-wielding denialists attempted to dig up alleged remains on the grounds of a former residential school, the RCMP says it has received no reports of such. Special interlocutor for unmarked graves Kimberly Murray claimed in her June 2023 interim report that, quote, denialists entered the site without permission. Some came in the middle of the night carrying shovels. They wanted to see for themselves if children are buried there. However, the Kamloops RCMP told True North that it has not intercepted any unauthorized shovel-bearing grave diggers on the former residential school grounds or received reports of such trespassers. When True North asked how many calls the Kamloops RCMP has responded to since May 2021 that involved trespassers with shovels on the grounds, the RCMP spokesperson said, quote, Your questions are best directed to the author of the report. Murray's report did not provide any details on the alleged grave-digging incidents and did not even have any footnotes or citations explaining the matter. Murray has advocated for residential school denialism to be outlawed, and Justice Minister David Lametti has said he is open to a legal solution. Murray wrote, quote, Urgent consideration should be given to legal mechanisms to address denialism, including the implementation of both civil and criminal sanctions. Cosman, this is a bizarre story. It kind of reminds me of recent reports that Harry and Meghan were in New York City and they were being chased down by paparazzis for many streets from one end of the city to the other. And everyone who's ever been to New York City kind of scratched their head and said, how on earth was there a car chase in New York City? Then, of course, the NYPD came out and said, we have not received any reports. They did not call us. So their story kind of fell apart very quickly. And when we look at this story, it's sort of similar. It's if this had actually happened, if people had shown up with shovels at these alleged grave sites, why weren't the police called? Well, I think it strikes at the heart of some of the sensationalist claims that come out of these reports. And this is the same group that has rejected uh, assistance from an internationally recognized missing persons group. I think we actually talked about this a few weeks ago. Uh, there was this organization from The Hague that offered their services uh, based on the request from the federal government, uh, I think last year, 
and they were turned away by this interlocutor because I think the the reason was they weren't uh, indigenous, so to speak. It was a group of Europeans who were coming to to offer their assistance. So I think this really casts some shade on the credibility of uh, you know some of the people involved in in the interlocutor mission here. Yeah, we did talk about that on the show a couple weeks ago. I definitely remember that. So when we look at that story in combination with this story, there's definitely some things that leave us scratching our heads. And then, of course, the fact that Murray, this interlocutor, is pushing for the criminalization of anyone who would deny that residential schools resulted in mass graves. You know, that's obviously very concerning on its own, but this individual has an agenda here and they are pushing that agenda very hard. Would you go as far as to say that there's some serious holes and that you doubt the credibility that anyone ever actually showed up with shovels on residential schools? Or is there any way of determining the truth in this matter? There's no evidence, right? I mean, we have the RCMP here saying they haven't heard any reports. I'm assuming if somebody shows up with shovels in the middle of the night, you would call the police at least for trespassing, right? So... If the RCMP is saying no and the special interlocutor isn't responding, it, it, it does really leave a big hole. Um, and I think part of this is how skewed any coverage uh, from mainstream sources or mainstream po- politicians in Canada uh, really is because when you look at some of the reporting from outside of Canada, we've seen reports, you know, in the UK and the United States about some of these residential school graves. It's much more sober, uh, level-headed, and objective. But I just think in Canada, this is such an emotionally charged and controversial issue. You will never really get a report from a mainstream source that isn't skewed. Well, with that in mind, I would say I don't see how an incident like that occurs without it being the topic of every single news story in Canada for an entire week. I just don't see it. Illegal drug toxicity is now the leading cause of death in British Columbia, killing more people between the ages of 10 and 59 than homicides, suicides, accidents, and natural diseases combined. The province also saw over 1,000 drug-related deaths in the first five months of 2023, despite the possession of small amounts of hard drugs having been decriminalized in the province as a harm reduction effort endorsed by the federal government. Data from the BC Coroner's Service states that over 1,000 people have died from drug use since the start of the year, with 227 dying in January, 193 dying in February, 204 dying in March, 218 dying in April, and 176 dying in May. If trends continue, the number of BC drug deaths in 2023 will surpass 2022's record number. Of the drug deaths reported so far this year, 85% were linked to fentanyl. Other drugs responsible for large amounts of deaths include methamphetamine and cocaine. British Columbia was the first place in North America to open a supervised drug injection site back in 2003. There are now many more in the province today, but while they are branded as a harm reduction measure, drug deaths have skyrocketed since the introduction 20 years ago. 
The provincial and federal governments have, however, opted to double down on their harm reduction agenda by giving addicts a safer supply of drugs and decriminalizing hard drugs in the province. Drug overdoses have killed 12,264 people in BC since April 2016, while nationally over 32,000 people have died from overdoses since 2016. Health Canada says fentanyl was involved in 76% of these drug deaths. Obviously, this situation is beyond a crisis level. I mean, we it, it doesn't look like these statistics are turning around. It doesn't look like it's getting any better in terms of deaths as well as drug use and, and the problems associated with that. What do you think these provincial and federal governments are doing wrong, Rachel? Well, I think their entire approach to this matter is wrong. I don't think safe supply is working. I think what we're seeing is more people are trying drugs experimentally. Sure, they aren't starting off with fentanyl. They're starting off with lower level street drugs that they can get for a couple bucks, you know, maybe even a buck or two a pill. And as their addiction grows, their desire for something stronger to feel that same high also grows. We are just creating a generation of young addicts. And when we look at this, this has really been an experiment. It is a BC provincial government experiment that has resulted in the loss of thousands of lives. Almost 200 people a month have died so far, every month this year. This story is really shocking. It's concerning. You know, I don't know that the government cares. I don't know that they care that this is happening. Yeah, and it seems like the federal government wants to replicate this uh, across the country. We've seen calls uh, come from other places, other municipalities to give exemptions uh, on decriminalization. But from my understanding, you know, the police aren't out there handing uh, simple possession uh, charges most of the time. They're not they're they're trying to go after dealers and and you know trafficking so it it really confuses me why some experts promote this idea that decriminalizing drugs will suddenly you know make it make this situation better when it really is not it's been s- such a long time where, where the government has been trying this one approach uh without even considering other options and it's just getting worse. So, you know, you have in Alberta, uh, the provincial government, the premier has endorsed a more treatment-oriented approach. Do you think if that is successful, it could lead to a shift nationally? I think that it could lead to a shift in other conservative provinces, which are seeing these trends And recognizing that it's concerning, I suspect that it won't lead to a shift in the federal government until there is a change of government. I don't think the Trudeau government is looking at this in a critical and serious manner, because if they were, they would see that BC's plan is already failing. So it's hopeful that the rest of the provinces will take a look at what's going on, and they have two case studies right next to each other, BC and Alberta, and they can see which one is doing better and follow our model. But the other thing that I would say is, you know, we're probably four to five years into an eight-year plan. So this is not something that can happen overnight. And the longer these provinces drag their feet on getting something done, 
the worse it's going to be and the more lives are going to be lost. A research report by the Samara Center for Democracy says anti-woke Ottawa trustee candidates Shannon Boshi and Chanel Fall received the greatest proportion of abusive tweets during last fall's municipal election. Samara's online abuse and local election report says that 33% of the 2,221 tweets received by Boshi during the municipal campaign period were abusive, while 32% of the nearly 16,000 tweets received by Fall were abusive. They had the highest proportion of any Ottawa municipal candidate. In third place was left-wing trustee candidate Dr. Neely Kaplan-Mirth, with 29% of tweets she received being deemed abusive. The number of abusive tweets received by Kaplan-Mirth was, however, greater amid her having a large Twitter following than Boshi and Fell combined. Samara used five categories to determine if a tweet was abusive. Toxicity, insult, threats, sexual explicity, and identity attacks. 16% of the tweets received by Fall and 15% of the tweets received by Boshi are considered by Samara to be identity attacks. Samara said it assessed a tweet in an identity attack, whether the attack is directed at the candidate or at another individual or group. It noted that in the case of Fall and Boshi, a significant proportion of the identities attacks they received weren't targeting their demographic characteristics, but rather their opposition to gender ideology and critical race theory. Cosmet, I have to say that I'm not super surprised by the story. We've identified these trustees as anti-woke trustees, but I have to say that just being a woman on conservative, you experience a lot of harassment online because when a woman is conservative, the left's narrative falls apart because it really depends on the empathy and compassion of females to push their agenda. They rely on feelings over emotion and women just tend to have greater empathy and more compassion. They feel more. It's one of the reasons that women are such great mothers and caretakers, but that can also be easily manipulated. And we see it being manipulated by the left so often. And I firmly believe that is why the left is so angry when a female is a strong conservative. What's your take? Yeah, I think with this study, it, it just kind of shows the uh, other side of the co coin. And it's not really covered a lot how... As soon as you are trying to run for office and you take a anti-woke, you know, uh, position that's against the current progressive orthodoxy, you get a wave of online abuse and people trying to scare you and, and to prevent you from running. So I think it's important uh, to highlight uh, an underlooked issue, really, because the left likes to claim, you know, that they are the only ones being subject to online abuse. And we know we live in a, unfortunately, a social media environment where it's quite um, hectic and it's quite polarized and divisive. But it's going on everywhere. And for the left to claim that they just have this sole... They're the only ones getting this. It's it's totally false. I think it's because conservatives have better things to do than complain about the harassment they're receiving online. I don't know. It's like almost like we're busy working or something. Just my take. That's it for today. And don't forget to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. And if you're able, please consider supporting independent media at donate.tnc.news. Thanks for listening and have a great day.